Hey, good morning, Mendham Hills Community Church. My name is Mike DeLuca, and I have the privilege and honor of being the youth pastor here. And for the past few weeks, we've been going through this series called Love, Marriage, Sex, and Lies. And if you haven't had a chance to listen to Pastor John's messages the previous weeks, I really encourage you to do so. Why? Well, because these messages are for you. It doesn't matter if you're 13, 16, 26, 36, 56, if you're single, dating, engaged, married, or widowed, this is for you. Why is it for you? Well, because this is really about that. This book, Song of Songs, is really about God's desire for a relationship with you, and that applies no matter your age or marital status. So before we jump into the passage, Pastor John and I, we talked about what would be the best thing for me to talk about this week. And we thought, well, let's talk about singleness. This is a topic that we don't talk about very often, and the last time Pastor John was single, I mean, the Mets were actually good. So we thought I'd be an appropriate voice to speak on this. And some of you might be thinking, why are you talking about being single in a setting like this? Well, the simple reason is because according to the U.S. Census Bureau, in 2018, 45% of adults in the United States over the age of 18 are single. Our country is increasingly more single than it's ever been before. 28% of households in our country right now are single occupant households. And so if that's not your vision of the country, I just want to reacclimate you to where you live. A good percentage of people you live and work with are single. And others of you might be thinking, how does this relate to the Song of Songs? I thought these passages were about the love this woman has for this man. And in fact, if you read chapters three and four, you'd find that they are about a royal wedding, which would then lead you to think, okay, so why are we covering singleness? Well, the Song of Songs gives us a picture of marriage so we know what it looks like. But here's where our culture likes to spin a very subtle lie. Here's the lie, that the point of singleness is to get married. The reality is that not all of us are called to be married, and single people are not second class in the story of salvation. Single people, as well as married people, find their fulfillment in God's love story. The issue is when we keep telling singles that their highest calling is to be married. It's setting their future spouse up for a role that only Christ was meant to occupy for their lives. Remember that the Song of Songs is not primarily about sex. It's more about love, about the soul's love relationship with the living God. Only God can satisfy our hunger for intimacy. And at the end of the day, the Bible, the Song of Songs, is trying to convince you that the greatest love story you can be in is between you and God. Now, obviously, in one week, I won't get to cover every nuance to the single experience, but we're going to try to get some biblical thoughts about it into our minds. And the text I'm about to read was written by the Apostle Paul. Much of the New Testament was. And Paul was single his entire life. Oh, and by the way, so was Jesus. And I think we would agree that he lived a purposeful, meaningful, and fulfilling life. Now, much of the way I'm going to be coming at this is addressing singles directly. And so if you are married, don't let that hurt your feelings. How many marriage sermons have single people had to sit through? but there will be some things in here for you too, so pay attention, don't just click off duty and go, oh, all this conviction isn't for me, you should listen, single person. So, let's read this text together from 1 Corinthians. 
This is also from the same letter that Pastor John has been referencing to Paul, that Paul wrote to the city of Corinth that had bought the lies of the culture, that sex was just sex. So beginning in chapter seven, verse seven, I wish that all were here as myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, for they, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Verse 32, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint on you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided, devotion to the Lord. So when I was born, I was born with the umbilical cord wrapped around my head twice and my right arm twice, with the cord being in a true knot. And I had developed an injury in my right arm called a frozen shoulder, so it was literally stuck like this. So at the age of three and eight years old, I went through a shoulder release surgery to break up some of the scar tissue and increase my range of motion. First surgery got me to here, second one to here. That's as high as it goes. And after the first surgery, I was in a half upper body cast whoop, for a few weeks, kind of like, you know, rookie of the year. But let me tell you, I, I really did not enjoy that experience. It was a drag not to be able to do all the things I wanted to do. Couldn't play sports, couldn't run around at recess or gym class, and everyone was practically scared to bump into me, and I just hated it. I was angry that I had this bum of, of an arm. Now, I remember this one lady at my church said something to me when I was a little kid. She said, one day, you're gonna see this as a gift. And it's as if she was speaking a foreign language because I was like, yeah, no way, this is not a gift. I can barely move. A gift? Gifts are supposed to be way better than this. Now, as the years went on, I really got into playing music, mainly the drums, and fast forward to my senior year in high school and I'm playing for the Allstate Jazz Band. And, and now I love playing music. And all of that started with being born with a bum shoulder. So looking back at it now, that lady at church was right. My shoulder was a gift that led me to something really good. Now, why do I tell you that? For this reason, what we want is not always what's best for us. And what's best for us, we don't always value and appreciate. Some gifts are more welcome than others. So why didn't an eight-year-old appreciate two shoulder operations? Ignorance. I thought I knew what was best for my life. Now, why mention that here? because sometimes the most loving gift from God is singleness. That's right, singleness. I call it a gift because Paul did. First Corinthians seven, he says, I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. He says it's a gift, and for some of us, that's a gift we don't want. Like, why would God do that? Gotcha, little something. Oh, what's this? Singleness? Thanks, Dad. Like, why would God do that if my desire is to be married? And yet the truth is, if we believe God is loving and if we believe he is wise, then we have to believe that what he does for us is the most loving, wise thing that could be done for us. So we gotta look at this and go, why would he do this? And that's a fair question. Why would God give people a season of singleness when, they're meant to, when they want to be married? 
Paul gives you the answer here in verse 35. He says, I say this for your own benefit. It's for your good. It's not to put a restraint on you. Literally, he uses the word to throw a noose around your neck. He's saying, God, when he gives you a season of being single, he's not trying to hurt you. He's not being cruel. But there are godly purposes in it. And Paul just told you the reason singleness exists, and it's not to get to marriage. That's the lie. If singleness existed just to get to marriage, then Jesus Christ was a failure. And I don't know anyone who's willing to say that. But he says singleness is to pursue an undistracted devotion to the Lord, not to fill our lives with the distractions on our devices, but to secure an undistracted devotion to the Lord. Because marriage is great, but it can be distracting. There's Suddenly all kinds of responsibilities, different things I have to manage, and singleness affords a freedom, and a freedom for the purpose of focus. But it's interesting. In the world today, when I hear people use the word focus, I usually hear one of two words come after it. First is the word career. I'm just focused on my career right now. I'm trying to get ahead, trying to climb the ladder, trying to make my first million, rise and grind, that sort of thing. Or I hear them say, I'm focused on me. I'm just trying to do me right now. But neither of those things are going to satisfy your human heart because that's not what you're for. Now I want you to catch this. Every human being on the planet is going to experience a season of singleness. For some of us, it's longer than others. For some, it's shorter. But the reality is God has ordained that all of us will be single for a part of our lives. And he just told us why. He gave us two reasons. The first one is to promote what is appropriate. What does appropriate mean? Well, an appropriate thing is something that fits an environment. We would call something inappropriate when it doesn't fit an environment, like wearing a swimsuit to a wedding. Are swimsuits evil? No. Wearing a swimsuit to a wedding? Inappropriate. Why? Because it doesn't fit the context. There are things that I could say to my wife as a married man that would be appropriate, good, loving, life-giving, right for a man to say to his wife. If one of you guys were to say those same things to my wife, we gotta fight, inappropriate. (laughs) So Paul says the reason you're single is I want to promote what is appropriate. God made you single because he wants to champion a worldview, a way of seeing things and a way of living that fits the context we're currently in, which raises the million dollar question, what's the context? And you get it earlier in the book of 1 Corinthians. I didn't read it to you, but he says this. In in verse 29, this is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it, for the present form of this world is passing away. Now, there's a lot to um, unpack there that I'm just not going to have time for, but let me clarify. He's not advocating ditching your spouse or quitting your job. But he is saying, what he is saying is that singleness, dating, marriage, work, though important parts of the human experience, they are not the main storyline of your life at all. It's not the essential narrative of the story that we're living in. I mean, if we just took the Bible, looked at relationships and marriage and dating, those sorts of things, there are passages in scripture that speak to it. Genesis 2, Genesis 24, Song of Songs. And much of Proverbs, Ephesians 5, Colossians, 1 Corinthians, speaks to the single experience. We've got all these places in the Bible that speak about romantic encounters. And yet, if we were to grab them all and put them in one piece of the Bible, they'd just be a tiny sliver of the word of God. 
much more is written about other things. And some of us go, well, what are those other things? Well, the other things are the big story of what God is about. In 1 Corinthians 6, some of you were fornicators and idolaters, thieves, revilers, swindlers, will not inherit the kingdom of God, and such were you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of Jesus. So what he's saying is the world is a dark place, and every person in it has had horrible things perpetrated against us. The world's not as it should be. There is much wrong being done in the world. And all of us, if we look in, we've done horrible things. None of us are what we should be. We're all broken people, and we've all done things that we're not just not proud of, that are wrong. And yet the mercy of God is on the move, and the Son of God, Jesus Christ, has broken through the darkness, and he is forgiving people like me and like you, and giving you a hope and a future and a relationship with God, and he's beating back the darkness, building the kingdom of God, and we get to be a part of that. And he says that the time is short. There's, there's not a lot of time left on the clock. Your life, my life, our lives are brief, and in the story of all humanity, the time is short. What he's saying here is when you realize that's the main storyline and there's not a lot of time left on the clock, the clock should influence how you play the game. It provides context for a season of singleness. I remember last year during quarantine when I was playing the game Fortnite with some students for the first time and I thought, hey, this is great. I get to talk with my students while beating them at this game, stay connected with them through the quarantine but I didn't realize how ridiculously good they were at it. And so the, for the first few games, I get demolished. And then, you know, finally one game, I start to figure it out a little bit and make it to the final two. But then all of a sudden, boom, I lose, game over. And I'm like, hey, what happened? I had a great hiding spot. And one of my students on, you know, on the headset goes, yeah, uh, Mike, you got caught outside the boundary. They force you to the inside, the middle of the map to make it go faster at the end. You had a chance to win and you just hid in the corner. I'm like, what is this, the Hunger Games? See them out of time on the clock should affect how you play the game. And this is God saying there's not a lot of time left. And our relationship status matters. It matters a great deal to God. It matters more to him than it does to you. And yet the main story of this world is about how broken we all are. And you know that, turn on the news. But the good news is God is on the move. And we need to be far more interested in the state of the souls of the people around us than their relationship status with us. That's the point. God wants to secure a mindset that's appropriate for the context that we're in. And yet a natural question would be, well, why can't I do that married? Why do I gotta be single for God to champion a worldview? Well, that's the second thing that Paul presents, to secure an undistracted devotion to the Lord. And there's a principle there for Paul. Dating, though it's great, is distracting. So God, for all of us, creates a season of singleness for a purpose, to secure an undistracted devotion to the Lord. I gotta get a relationship with God right. Why? Because all things were made by him and for him. You were not just made by God, you were made for God. Augustine said, our hearts are restless until we find rest in thee. You see it when Jesus sat by the woman at the well. He began to speak to her about thirst and about quenching thirst and he brought into her relational categories and he said, you've had five husbands and you're living with a guy right now and you're not married to him. And what does he do? He doesn't condemn her. He doesn't shame her. He says, if you just knew who was sitting with you, you would ask me and I'd give you living water that'd make your soul alive. And why did he bridge that? 
He said, you're looking for a romantic relationship to do what only God can do. He says, before you will ever be able to get a relationship with a guy or girl right, you have to get a relationship with God right. That's why God ordains a season of singleness for us, to secure an undistracted devotion to him because our hearts will be restless until they find their rest in him. And some of you have taken that restlessness to a lot of broken cisterns and wondered why you're still thirsty. And yet, let's ask the question, why do I have to be single to do that? Some of you say, married people seek the Lord together. Why make me single at this stage or this long of my life in order to champion that? Well, Paul says in verse 32, I want you to be, catch this, free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord, but the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife and his interests are divided. Paul is advocating singleness in this text. Why? because it provides a freedom from the anxieties and the stresses of marriage. Marriage is great, it's wonderful. And the unmarried men here are like, distracted by pleasing my wife. Mike, that's the type of distraction I wanna be involved in. And all the married men and I would say, you don't understand some of the challenges you're going to take on when you get married. Look, when, when you're going to get married, all of a sudden you're, you're gonna to have to spend money on things you never thought you were going to have to spend money on. Like, I have to continue to buy my wife flowers? I thought she's just supposed to know I love her. And I remember when my wife and I got engaged, I spent hours at Bed and Bath and Beyond. Oh my goodness, we have to buy duvet covers? I don't even know what those are. You, you, how many throw pillows do we need? Is that necessary? You're going to go through this whole process and you're going to have to do it with her, and you'll be in the store and she'll go, so what plate design do you like? This one, or this one? This one, or this one, this one? And you're just like, I, I can't care! And then you'll have to, all these responsibilities and decisions you have to make together. And then you'll come home and you'll be like, oh my gosh, I'm exhausted from the long day, I just wanna sit down and watch TV. No, you're gonna to have to get home and she's going to ask you about your day. And a sweeping fine isn't going to cut it. You're gonna to have to put it off till, and if you want to put it off till later, hoping she'll forget when your head hits the pillow ready to go to sleep, that's when she'll bump you and go, hey, are you up? What do you think about this? I can't believe what happened here. What do you think we should do about it? And you can't just be like, mm-hmm, okay. You're gonna to have to listen with your face and you're gonna to have to go there emotionally and, and and that will frustrate me too. And you go, oh my gosh, yeah, that'll frustrate me too. I don't know what I would do if my friend said that to me. And you're gonna to have to connect with her, your wife, at a level that was maybe foreign to you from your previous friendship circles. I'm not bashing marriage. I love being married. It's wonderful. But the reality is there's a lot to it. And ladies, it's true for you too. Verse 34 says, and the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. Many of you ladies know this. When you get married, your husband will have expectations of you that maybe his mama did or for him or something, or how he expects to be talked to and that you just didn't expect. Some of you will go, oh no, we'll, we'll do the cleaning together. But then you'll realize his standard of cleanliness is far below what but sanitary. And then you're gonna have some pretty crazy things that happen during your day and you'll go, I know, why don't I just process it with my soulmate, the person who's supposed to love me through all my days, and you're going to explain to him some of the challenges you're dealing with and he's going to look at you like drooling and you're gonna be like, are you listening to what I'm saying to you? And you're gonna wonder, what's the matter with this guy? I don't, does, does he even understand me? Let me just say this, on some level, he probably doesn't. All the movies that Hollywood makes where the guy under, understands me, oh, Ryan, he's Ryan Gosling and he just, he just gets me. Like, no, there's always a lot that you have to figure out 
together. And then you add kids to the mix. I remember when I was single, one summer I lived with my sister, brother-in-law, and my nine-month-old niece. When the time came to go on the DeLuca family vacation down to the Outer Banks, I was there to help pack and ride along. And I remember, it must have taken me a whole whopping 10 minutes to throw my stuff in a bag, and I'm in the van. I'm ready to go, and it was maybe a few hours after that before we finally left. We're packing the van. My niece starts crying. My sister goes, here, Mike, take the baby. Dog is running around. My brother-in-law is like masterfully tetracizing the van with all the stuff ready for vacation to keep the baby alive. And I'm like, whoa, this is just one kid. They now have three kids under the age of 10, and they are really sweet kids, and they are wonderful parents. But I see my sister and brother-in-law at the end of the night when all the kids are falling asleep. You know what they do? They crash. They're exhausted. Now, am I down on marriage? No, of course not. I'm trying to illustrate a point, and the point is this. For all of us, whatever stage we're in, what we tend to do as human beings is we tend to downplay the advantages of our stage, and we begin to up the frustration of our stage. And, and I don't want you to miss the advantages of being single, because you're pining away for the next stage. The advantage of singleness is freedom and time. No other person in life has the amount of freedom or time that a single person does. And it's not to fill with distractions, it's to pursue an undistracted devotion to the Lord. That's what it's for. The reality is, in these verses, the unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. The unmarried woman, anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy. Let me just pause there. Does that define your singleness? A desire to please the Lord. If that doesn't define your single experience, then singleness will be very frustrating because you're missing what it's for, to pursue an undistracted devotion to the Lord. That doesn't mean you can't long for marriage, but the most satisfied single people I've known are the people who understood this. One of my best friends in college, after we graduated, he started working at the college, and in his free time, he decided to get a master's degree, and he started taking a bunch of classes, most of them night classes, classes on the Bible, theology, business, leadership, those sorts of things, and I was like, hey man, why, why are you doing that? He was like, well, I just want to know as much as I can because I want to help the next generation of students that come through to know Jesus. And I was like, whoa. Like he leveraged his singleness to influence the people behind him in a generation and to dedicate his education to learn more about Jesus. He leveraged his singleness really well. And I remember when I was working as a teacher in the local school and in my free time, I volunteered at the college as an assistant baseball coach. I would arrive a few minutes late to practice, so I'd run every time from my car across the soccer field to the baseball diamond about 200 yards away, and the players got a, got a kick out of me running. But what they didn't know was that as I ran, I was praying for those players, praying for opportunities to talk with them about Jesus. And then one time, I'll, I'll never forget it, this one player goes, hey coach, can we talk after practice? I gotta talk to you after practice. I can't talk now, but I gotta talk to you after practice. Okay, so after practice, I sit down with him to see what's going on, and this young man shares with me how his life's a mess. Dad has cancer, grades are struggling, he's battling an injury that prevents him from playing, and he doesn't know what he's going to do with the rest of his life. But he really wants to take his relationship with God seriously. And I just remember thanking God in that moment because if I wasn't single, I never would have been coaching that year or I would never would have been there for that conversation with that player. And God allowed me to leverage that season of my life to influence those young men. 
And listen, this is not just about singles. The average American spends about seven and a half hours a day looking at a screen. The average gamer in America today is over the age of 30. So if you think of video gamers as only kids, it's not. It's primarily adults on their phones. And I'm not ripping apart people for playing video games. You play your Candy Crush and have a blast. But I would encourage you to track how many hours you do, and I would challenge you to not spend your whole life solving little problems on the screen when the real world is on fire. And so here we are, spring of 2021, where God has dedicated to some of you a season of singleness. And I don't want to downplay the struggles of that. I really don't. But I want to challenge you to embrace the upsides of it. That word devotion in Greek is the combination of two words, the word good and the word beside. I'm going to be really good at being beside the Lord. A a great translation would be the word attentive. Think of a waiter or a, a good waiter or a waitress is attentive. That means attentive to your word, listening to the things that you say, and attentive to the work, going to do what you desire. And that's what we're meant to do with all of our lives, but especially single people you have greater freedom to do this, that you are attentive to the word of God and attentive to the work of God to serve. That would be a great way to leverage your singleness. So be attentive to his word. Use this time to get in the word of God. I know many of you believe the Bible is the word of God, but we spend very little time reading it. I know that's something that's convicted me. I've said for years, yeah, I believe the word of God. I believe in the word of God. You know, there are many books of the Bible I hadn't read, though. I just read the popular ones or the ones we see on T-shirts or coffee mugs or cool social media posts. And so one of the things I started to do when I was single was use the time I had in my car, listening to scripture, some sermon, some worship song, sometimes praying, sometimes just being quiet with God. And I still do that to this day, and it was because of a seed that was planted when I was single. I wanted to be attentive to God. I wanted to be shaped by him. I'm not saying you all have to do what I did, but I'm saying if you believe in the word of God, that the Bible is the word of God, or or even if you don't, Jesus changed history more than anyone else. Spend time getting to know him. I want you to be attentive to God. And then be attentive to his work. Get involved with what God's doing. See what fabric of society is breaking and then lean in. Whether it's here at Mendham Hills or somewhere around the world, go serve. Give up a Friday or a Saturday night to be involved with what God is doing. I mean, Morris County should feel that we exist. And people will feel that we exist when we lean in and make a difference. Last thing I want to say is to answer the question on singleness. Is it more spiritual? I mean, we read this text and Paul seems to say so. He says, I think it's good for you to remain as I am. Paul was single his whole life, and he's saying, if you're single, it's good to remain like I am. But if you don't have self-control, get married. Some of you heard that part and are like, I'm on fire, bring on the spouse. But others might be wondering if it's more spiritual to be single than not. Do I need to just accept that? Like, I don't want to be single for the rest of my life, but I guess I will be. I'll answer quickly in Matthew 19. Jesus is speaking and he says in verse 12, there are eunuchs. Now, I don't have time to explain what a eunuch is. You can ask Pastor John later. It's an uncomfortable circumstance where you can no longer have children, and in that culture would often mean not getting married. There are eunuchs who were born that way, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others. There are eunuchs who chose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. So he goes, there are people who chose to live a life of having no kids, no marriage, 
for the sake of the kingdom of God. Should I do that? Is God asking me to do that? And the answer is, I don't know. Because Jesus will say later, not all men can accept this statement, but only to those to whom it has been given. What he means by that is everybody is going to be given a season of singleness. And you might have spent yours great, and you might have spent yours poorly. I don't know, but some of you are in the middle of it, and it is for an undistracted devotion to the Lord. And yet some of us, in that season, you know, we'll tarry, and, and the God who gives you that gift will give you the grace to live in it. Some of you, it will be given to you and you can accept it. Others of you, you long desperately to get married, and statistically, it's likely that you will. I don't know. But what I do know is God is good, God is loving, and he, and, and he is wise. If Christ is our bridegroom, and we are followers of Christ, then in one way, none of us are single. We, are, we all have a bridegroom. And the healthy marriage later occurs when the single person now is totally satisfied, totally delighted with her heavenly husband. Then your earthly spouse later can occupy the right space, the right place in your life. The main storyline of your life is the relationship built to God through Jesus Christ. And in the history of the church, the single apostle Paul and the married apostle Peter joined hands and they provided the foundation of the church together. And as we live as a church with the single among us and the married among us, we're meant to join hands and build this thing together. That married people would chase after the glory of God. That single people would chase after the glory of God. And we all run together and make a difference. I would challenge you to get to know the people in different stages of life. We're meant to be a gift to one another. And and let me just say this to all the adults. The students... The young people, your kids, they're not problems to be solved. They are wonders to behold. And young people, students, listen. Adults know more than you give them credit for. They've literally been through life. And it's okay and time for you to be seeking wisdom from them. The greatest gift I got as a young single man was when married people would welcome me into their homes and have a meal together and talk to me and get to know me. I never forgot that. So let's walk together for the glory of God. Ultimately, it's all about Jesus. He chose singleness. He chose to come to this earth for us. Why? Because his people have gone astray. We have chased satisfaction in a lot of broken places that are not working out great for us. But he didn't come to shame. He didn't come to condemn. He came with kindness. He came to be the perfect human being we are not, died the death that we deserve, rose from the dead that whoever puts their faith in him would not perish but have life. And he wants us to get our relationship with God right. And in his time, a relationship with a guy or girl is going to be right. But the beautiful thing about this today is that wherever you are, you can trust him. Married, single, he is good. He is worthy of your trust and you were made to be devoted to him.